Well, I'm going to ask you to reach for your songbooks, but not the one with hymns of grace on the title or on the cover. I'm going to have you reach for the most exhaustive songbook you have in front of you, and that's the Bible. So if you flip about to the middle, you should find the Psalms. That's where we're going to land this morning. The Psalms are a collection, and with just a little study, we see an organized collection of poems and that are intended to be sung in private and in corporate worship. And I would expect that if I took a poll this morning on where your favorite verses were in the Bible, or where you would turn first for some personal comfort or devotion, most of you would probably mention the Psalms in certain places in the Psalms. And for good reason, because they speak to such a wide range of human emotions that are covered uh, in the Psalms, uh, 150 songs and parts of songs um, that guide our emotions in a healthy way as the Spirit works through uh, His Word. Um, so we love the Psalms for private devotion, but it's important for us to uh, remember that this, this collection is, is to be used uh, primarily and, and was also used primarily in the corporate worship of God's people in Israel. So whether they were sung or chanted or recited, all part of, of public worship. And, and on these same lines, as we think about the songs and the collection of songs, if you came into church this morning and you had a short conversation or you greeted one another, and after the service you'll you know, say hello, maybe greet a few others as you leave, what are you more likely to remember? Uh, the, a hello or a short conversation as you came in or as you leave this morning or the songs that we sing together as God's people. The songs that we've already sang together. You know, come all ye faithful. Um, the songs, we're going to remember the songs. Um, things that are sung stick with us. Uh, much more than what is said in a conversation or if we read something. When we sing something, it works it in deep into our hearts so I, I think even before we read this first section in Psalm 22, we have to ask ourselves, by way of application, how do we think of the Psalms um, and their use uh, in our worship as a church body? Are they just private devotions, or do we use them uh, consistently, appropriately, as we worship as God's people? Uh, so we're going to read the first 10 verses of Psalm 22 this morning. We're to try to categorize the psalms. It can be challenging. Is this a psalm of praise, a psalm of confession, a psalm of lament? And so many of them perform one or more of those functions when we read them. But if we were going to categorize Psalm 22, it would be considered a royal psalm or a messianic psalm. There's just a handful of these among the 150 psalms, but concerned with kingship, the kingship of David and the reign of uh, the Messiah, God's blessing through him. Uh, so King David wrote many of the Psalms, not all, but, but many of them. And so it's certainly appropriate that we think of David as the psalmist of Israel. And uh, I know we could recite Psalm 23 between all of us. We could get every word of Psalm 23. But there's a very different attitude, a very different approach in the Psalm just before, uh, in Psalm uh, 22. Different emotion from God's chosen leader. I'll read the first ten verses. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Why are you so far from saving me? From the words of my groaning. 
Oh my God, I cry by day, but you do not answer. And by night, but I find no rest. Yet you are holy, enthroned on the praises of Israel. In you our fathers trusted. They trusted and you delivered them. To you they cried and were rescued. In you they trusted and were not put to shame. But I am a worm and not a man, scorned by mankind and despised by the people. All who see me mock me. They make mouths at me. They wag their heads. He trusts in the Lord. Let him deliver him. Let him rescue him. For he delights in him. Yet you are he who took me from the womb. You made me trust you at my mother's breasts. On you was I cast from my birth and from my mother's womb. You have been my God. And we'll go just that far in Psalm 22. Let's pray together. Lord, these are words that we have read so many times. We're certainly familiar with the words that follow in Psalm 23, that you are our good shepherd who leads us and guides us. You are no less so for David in this psalm, but a very different attitude and posture as he cries out to you. Lord, we ask that you would teach us now as we consider the cry of the psalmist's heart, the cry of our Savior. Lord, that You would shape our hearts, You would shape our emotions and our response to life circumstances as we consider Your Word. Lord, You will use it now as it is preached in our hearts and in our lives. May we consider this, be attentive to this. Lord, be glorified in the preaching of Your Word now. May it be done so faithfully. Guide our understanding and our application. Feed us, we ask, in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, Jim and his wife sat on the balcony across from their daughter, Barbara. They had invited her to join them for a vacation in Mexico. And as they sat there on the balcony, Barbara just turned and she stared at them with this very glaring ice picks at her parents and then really out of nowhere into their shock and disbelief she blurts out says mom dad I don't want your morals I don't want to live like a Christian anymore and I'm not going to and this just shook Jim to the core and so he responds really in kind. So how can you say such things? He sort of explodes at his daughter. And what ensued was this, this back and forth of, of arguing and pain until finally everyone just broke down crying because they were too tired to continue the fight. And so Barbara gets up and she, she runs out the door. And Jim cries out, Barbara, Barbara, Catherine, come back! And she continued to shocking to the parents. She had grown up in a Christian home. She had professed her faith and it seemed to be a genuine profession of faith. She was the one that encouraged her friends to follow the Lord and to spend time in the Word. And now, you know, now the, now the questions start coming. What Was that all for naught? Was that all fake? What do we do with this? And Jim recalls after this experience these feelings of just helplessness. 
He said, what made it so hard was, you know, I'd been deceived by a good friend. What made it so hard was I felt betrayed. Out of all the, the time in investing into his daughter and prayer and time together, she said, I wanted none of it. What they cherished the most, she said, enough. Maybe you can relate to that experience or maybe feelings like that. You have prayed over someone. You have poured your life into someone only to see him or her reject what you cherish the most. Think of the younger son. That parable of the prodigal sons. The parable of the the father's great love. Here's, Here's Barbara. She wanted freedom and so she was going to run off to another land. Away from her dad. Away from her parents' instruction. And away from the Lord. Absolutely crushing. How could this happen after all the time they had spent together? So the words of Psalm 22, they resonate loudly for Jim, for any of us who have experienced this type of rejection, this type of helplessness, feeling abandoned by those that we love, and even worse, maybe abandoned by God. I think it seems especially hard when we're used to we're used to hearing that well, blessing comes to those who follow the Lord in obedience, who walk with Him faithfully. You know, it's, the, it's the wicked who are going to get squashed. It's the wicked and disobedient who are going to really suffer. And then our, our life circumstances start playing out. And we go, whoa. <laughs> it at least leaves us with some confusion, some questions. Why is this happening? Where are you, God? How long are you going to let this go? And whether we're crying out on the outside or on the inside, usually it's both, um, it becomes the cry of the psalmist. Where are you, O God, in my distress? So the psalm here really harnesses that despair, that betrayal. And yet it's a, a sorrow, a lament that is formed into a song of love. And that's what we're going to take a few minutes to see, how this happens uh, in this psalm this morning. Uh, There's really no experience in David's life that we are aware of that matches the distress that he's conveying here. Now we know that there were times when David was on the run. He's running from Saul, running for his life. We know of the trouble that comes to David's household. The rebellion of his sons against the Lord. And so that may be getting closer to this heart of anguish here in this psalm. But the darkness, this feeling of abandonment, is just overwhelming for him. So he cries out to the Lord in the daytime when he's awake, at night when he's trying to sleep, he finds no rest. Just eats at him continually. And Jim remembers the nights after Barbara had had stormed out. He was just unable to sleep, just replaying everything that she said. And then the, the shame and the embarrassment that this caused. And his, his despair over Barbara's rebellion and desertion, it actually began to change the way Jim thought about himself. He said, what did I do wrong? How did I fail as a father? I failed her. I failed the Lord. And the psalmist's perception of himself changes 
under this type of rejection, this scorn. Maybe you saw that in verses 6 through 8. I'm a worm, not a man. It's like I don't even exist. And those closest to me, they, they mock all it is that I hold dear. You know, it's that, you know, he trusts in the Lord. Let the Lord deliver him. Let, let him rescue him. You know, it's, it's that sarcasm that just sort of drives it in deep. Sarcasm is a wonderful mask for what it is we're really feeling, but we don't say. We don't know how to say. And regrettably, I know this full well from personal experience. And you take a jab, it's got some snippet of truth in it. You think, well, it shouldn't hurt quite so much. It almost sounds sarcastic as that's coming out of my mouth right now. But it does hurt. It hurts the one who's saying it. It hurts the other person that you know indirectly because you're you're frustrated, you're angry, you're bitter, but you don't regard them enough to actually speak the truth in love. So that type of sarcastic appeal is what David is experiencing. It hurts him at the deepest level. They're mocking him. They're mocking the Lord, who in fact does delight in him, delight in his servant. And so these words, these, these gestures that we read in, in verses 7 and 8, we see them in the New Testament. When Jesus is hanging from the cross, Jesus Himself quotes verse 1 is the only fitting description of what He is experiencing as He hung there on that tree. The great preacher Charles Spurgeon said, Like a star is concealed by the sun, David's afflictions are really not seen as the reader sees the suffering of Jesus in these prophetic words. So the words of Psalm 22, the physical, emotional, spiritual pain that goes with them, their fulfillment is in the cry of the Lord. The true and better David. No one has ever known suffering like Jesus. No one has ever known despair and abandonment like Jesus. No one has ever known the darkness of the soul like Jesus. So, so dark was the rejection of His Father. Wrath poured out upon Him that the physical world shuddered at this. Grew dark, the Gospels tell us. So that star of Jacob that we looked at last week, reflected on. Light who entered the world as a child. The child and angels greet with anthem sweet would enter into the darkness of despair and abandonment. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? There's some who say, well, this is, this is a cry of anger, or a cry of loneliness, or even a cry of, of victory, but, but none of those do it justice. It is a cry of real, tangible desertion from the one who knew him the most, who loved him the most intimately. So consider with me the, the cry of the psalmist, the cry of our Savior in the midst of your own feelings of despair or actual desertion. I think sometimes we, we subtly believe that, that certain emotions are off limits or have no place in the life of the Christian. Things like anger or frustration, hurt, fear, we think that if we're really growing in the Lord, we're really maturing in the faith, then we shouldn't have these emotions. We should at least be able to suppress them quickly. 
especially you know, in this season of the year with the, the presents and the lights and the parties and the decorations and all of the, the fellowship. How often do we just paint on that smile? We don the Christmas sweater. We sing joy to the world on the outside. Actually, we're probably singing Silent Night because if you ask nine out of ten people, it's Silent Night is their favorite. But inwardly, we're not silent. We're crying out to God. Why, Lord? Why? Brothers and sisters, we need to let, let the emotions of our Lord, poetically here given the Psalms, let it shape our hearts and our own healthy response to life circumstances. I mean, we could all wear the t-shirt this morning. It says, life hurts. I really believe that. And what God's Word tells us, it's okay to hurt. It is okay to cry. It is okay to wrestle with the hard questions. That's being honest. It's being human. Jesus was fully human, fully divine, but fully human. Father, if there's any other way, take this cup from me. My God, my God, why? So in his humanness, he, he hurt. He, he wrestled with what he knew had to happen. But his darkness was not outside the Father's plan. It was absolutely essential to it. So even for us to consider our own hurts, our own disappointments, even rejection, as God, God drawing us in, working us closer to His heart, we can even consider that. That puts us on the path of healing, true joy. Another way we can apply these, these prophetic words of the psalmist to understand that when it appears that our prayers are not being heard, that that's a feeling shared by our Savior. Father, where did you go? Why have you left me to be mocked like this? And Jesus heard only silence in that desperate prayer. Yet he continued to pray even, even when there was no comfortable answer for him. So we must do the same. Pray continually even when we don't see any immediate or tangible answer to our cry. The Father's character is unchanging. He hears Trust Him. And the psalmist believed this. So there's that wonderful little word that we find at the beginning of verse 3, again in verse 9. That little word yet or but. It's even better when it's followed in reference to the Lord God. Yet you, yet you, O God, everyone else can be against me. Everyone else can mock and jeer. Everyone else can abandon me. Yet you are holy and worthy of trust. So the psalmist appeals to the knowledge of God that he's been given from those who have gone before him, from those who have trusted, leaned upon the Lord, confident of his mercy, confident he will deliver. You see that the Lord has proven himself over and over again to his people. He knows his people personally and intimately. That's where the psalmist goes, verses 9 and 10. He's crafted us in our mother's womb. I was in awe again this, this last week as I held little Thayer in my arms in the hospital. It's the beauty of what God has formed. The Lord watches over us, cares for us as long before we could ever acknowledge Him as our Lord and Creator. So David finds comfort and assurance in the unchanging character of God. 
and the love of God, even when he wrestles with his own fears, own abandonment. Though all others leave, his God remains close and delights in him. Later in verse 22, which we didn't read, he breaks into further praise. I will tell of your name to my brothers. In the midst of the congregation, I will praise you. So his mourning and despair could turn to joy because of his deliverer. So church family, think our, our deliverer has come. We're not put to shame because Jesus was humiliated and put to shame on our behalf. And his humiliation began right there at his birth. A baby laying in a feed trough and it reaches its climax right there at the cross. It's his love for you. It's his love for me that brings him to the manger and exalts him to the cross. I think several of the the royal psalms describe the Messiah's reign. But here in Psalm 22, it tells how that the Messiah, Jesus, enters into his kingship. It's not with enemies toting behind him. It's not on a war horse in a big majestic parade. He comes humbly as a servant, suffering even unto death out of his love for his subjects. Greater love has no one than this. That someone lay down his life for his friends. That's the love Jesus has for you and for me. The one who comes in humility and weakness dies as a curse, our curse, so that we can live at peace with God, live in the light of his love. So, do you know that love? When those closest to us hurt us or desert us, God can be trusted because of His love. Only because of His love could we actually move towards others in a Christ-exalting way and love them in that way. If He's come after us with such love, how could we not give Him that love in return? I was reading some of the letters of Samuel Rutherford, a preacher in Scotland in the early 1600s. He was eventually imprisoned in Aberdeen the state church is trying to, to weed out and silence all the preachers who are not conforming to um, the mandates of the state. But in his letters from prison, Rutherford calls his, his quarters a palace for Christ. He's so, he was even grateful for the hardship that he could endure, calling others within the church to, uh, uh, to that same uh, joy. And so he prays that his, his brothers and sisters would would join the suffering and enjoy the love feasts of Christ. This is what he's writing from prison. It's just a sweet love for his Savior. May it be that kind of love that is so sweet to us in this Advent season. The psalmist says that God dwells in their midst, sits enthroned on the praises of his people. Is our Savior enthroned on our praises? Is he front and center? To our celebrations, or are we just just paying him tribute, so that we can just get to immersing ourselves in the rest of the celebrations and the festivities this time of year? Uh, the love of our God demands more than this. Um, the love of Christ enables us to love each other more. Something I've shared with couples who are moving towards marriage, but I think it's it's a good reminder for us any times. What does this real love look like? And Dr. Paul Tripp, 
He's broken this down into 23 different statements, and I'm just going to share a few of them with you this morning. He says, Love is being willing to have your life complicated by the needs and struggles of another without impatience or anger. Love is actively fighting the temptation to be critical while looking for ways to encourage and praise. Love is being honest and humbly approachable in times of misunderstanding and being more committed to unity than you are to winning, accusing, or being right. Ouch. Love is always being willing to ask for forgiveness and always being committed to grant forgiveness when it is requested. One more. Love is being unwilling to flatter, lie, manipulate, or deceive in any way in order to co-opt someone into giving you what you want or doing something your way. It's a few examples of what love looks like. That's the kind of love God has made us for. A love that we strive for. We're, we're going to fail. We're going to fail at this. We can't love this way or in any of these ways that I've read apart from the love of Jesus for us. Christ has committed Himself, loved His bride perfectly. As long as we, as we believe in that and rest in that, can we love others sacrificially in ways like this. So let, let it be that kind of love that sets us apart, that sets this church apart, radically different from what we see around us. We follow our King in this love. So remember Barbara, she left the family. She was 18 at that time. And she lived, went off, lived with her boyfriend for about eight years in what she thought was, you know, a great and happy life. Um, but eventually one disappointment after another sets in. One disappointment after another for Jim and his wife Rosemarie. And they prayed, they cried together. Their, their faith was stretched, strained through this as they wrestled with God. But gradually, Jim began to see the Lord work deeper in his own life. He experienced a new love for God, a new love for Barbara, that enabled him to forgive every episode of, of rebellion and, and disappointment. So God used the light of His love to, to shape Jim and his wife, completely transform Barbara's life. In their case, it took eight years, but Barbara did come to know the forgiveness of her God and the forgiveness of her parents so that that relationship was dis, uh, was, uh, came back together and they could enjoy a, a friendship before Jim's death. But God's character is unchanging. His care is unrelenting when we cry out, why? Jesus knows. He, he empathizes fully with our pain. Not just the feelings of it but real abandonment and rejection. Like what Doug Webster said in his book, In Debt to Christ. He says, At the birth of the Son of God, there was brightness at midday. At the death of the Son of God, there was darkness at noon. In love, Jesus endured the darkness and desertion so that you and I would never be deserted or forsaken by God. So his words, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me, were said so that no child of God would ever have to say those words, ever again. Friends, the darkness is passing away. 
the true light is already shining. May we find rest, courage, in the light of God's love. Let's pray. Lord, we are overwhelmed at such love. Can we even love this way? Try to love this way? We cannot apart from your love for us. Lord Jesus, you were abandoned, deserted for us, that we would never have to be, that we would never have to cry out. Even as we do in our pain, you hear us. But we know that you will never desert us. That you will never turn from us. There is nothing that can separate us from your love. Lord, work that truth into our hearts in this season. That the joy, the excitement, the love that is seen and shown outside would, would work its way into our own hearts. It would be a true love for you and for those around us. We're grateful. In Jesus' name, amen.